Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, Kev. Always a pleasure to be back on here to talk football with you. Um, for those that haven't heard me on the podcast before, uh, I am Sam Carp. I'm a Crystal Palace supporter. You can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore Carp, uh, and you can also find some of my work on the Eagles Beak fan site. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, Sam, for those that have already caught on. It is just the two of us today, but we figure that'll probably be enough because I need to start off talking about Tottenham Hotspur. So you've probably seen the reports by now, but probably not the actual formal sacking of one Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, Yet another loss where we conceded three goals. I think that's the fifth on the season. Also, the fifth Premier League loss out of the last seven. Uh, Not particularly ideal, as it turns out. Um, and I, I was getting some flack yesterday because I, I went to a uh, Spurs bar and had to watch that whole match. And afterwards, I just said, I never thought this would be me, but Nuno out, which caused a lot of stir because I tend to be fairly level headed. At least I try to be uh, as, as a former professional in the industry. But I, that's just it's how I felt and how I felt is also backed up by statistics. I wanted to go find. Um, a bunch of statistics that would back up my point that would prove why Nuno hasn't done well enough for us and doesn't really deserve to stay. And then Sky just <laughs> put up a whole graphic of them, which was fantastic. The The short version is we're bottom five in basically every meaningful statistic in the Premier League this season, including effort stats, just like distance covered, like just run like the the amount of nothingness that happens when Tottenham play a match right now is baffling, especially from a manager who was relatively highly regarded for his time in Spain, for his time in Portugal, for his uh, first couple of years up with Wolves, where they were where they were playing fantastically, <laughs> and it's it's just not here. This is <laughs> we've been hoodwinked. This is not that manager. There is nothing that Tottenham are good at. We aren't good at defending. We aren't good in midfield. We aren't good in attack. The only chance we have of winning any match is a bit of brilliance from Son or Kane or apparently Hoybier, who curled one in a few weeks ago, or Ndombele. Um, but that's just not enough. I mentioned this last week. Still true. Second fewest chances created in the league. Four more than Norwich. You know, that side that haven't won yet and are on a historically bad pace uh, <laughs> in terms of points. Uh, again, not very ideal at all. It's it's just getting really, really bad. And I think, and somebody tweeted this at me today, and I do think this is right. I think the problem is that he wants to play the way he played at Wolves, which is a bit more on the defensive side. At least it was the last couple of years. Uh, maybe on the counterattack, but that doesn't really work with Kane up front. So 
we aren't doing either. We aren't playing in an attacking way. We aren't playing in an exciting way. And we aren't even playing in that crappy Mourinho way where you never concede more than one goal in a match because you're just setting up to defend. But we're still setting up to defend in terms of the squad. We're still playing Skip and Hoybier every match to protect the back line, but we're still conceding in most matches. And then you only have four players joining the attack and <laughs> none of them are creative enough to pull that off. We used to do a four-person attack with Ericsson, one of the best creators in the world at the time. But if you're alternating Ndombele, Deli Ali, at least this current version, and Lacelso as your number 10, that is not good enough for that front four. Um, it's, it's really, it's just terrible. And it's a bad situation. The squad is imbalanced. And I think we should recognize that. Also, Nuno probably shouldn't have been the hire in the first place. As people may recall, we basically tried to sign four people ahead of him and then just kind of got left holding the bag. And we were like, oh, well, I guess we'll get this Nuno guy in. So much so that Daniel Levy, the chairman, had to be convinced by a highlight reel of his Valencia team that I think finished top four in La Liga, where they sometimes played attacking football. They're like, oh, okay, that's good enough. Of course, this off the back of Daniel Levy promising to bring in somebody with Spurs DNA and getting back to an attacking brand of football. The only manager we ever talked to that sounded like that was Paulo Fonseca, but there were concerns that he was too weak at the back. And I think those issues in the hiring process are now being reflected in the current manager and the performances. We don't really know what we want, because if we sit back to just defend, the fans will lose their minds because we just did that under Mourinho for a year and a half. If we exclusively attack and concede a lot, we'll lose a lot of points. Nuno would have lost his job anyway, although it seems like he is on his path to doing so. It's it's just it's really embarrassing. The players aren't trying. They know they're going to outlast Nuno and they will. Uh, and there was never a future under Nuno Espirito Santo. There were even reports that it was actually a stopgap because we weren't able to get one of the managers we wanted. So we'd do a year with Nuno with this kind of younger squad because we signed a lot of young, talented players in the summer. And then you'd address the managerial position next summer when there are a lot more openings. Uh, <laughs> but the idea there is that Nuno's at least good enough in the present. But as it turns out, not so much, at least not at Tottenham. And I've seen other fans of other clubs saying that if we sacked him, they'd want to sign him the next day. But uh, honestly, feel free, because it has just been some of the worst football I've ever seen played at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. I wasn't around in the 90s. I mean, I was on earth, but not as a Tottenham supporter. Uh, so that's that's the nearest thing I can remember anyone referring to as bad as what we're seeing right now. But apparently, at least then we were exciting. We still had that thing where we always had one or two good players. You'd concede a lot of goals, but you'd score a lot of goals. And now it's just, it's nothingness. Again, no impact in the final third. I think we're bottom five in goals. We're also bottom five in goals conceded. There's just, there's no point. It is, it more often than not, looks like 11 people on the street were handed white shirts and they're told to go out and play for Tottenham. And it's just unacceptable. And I think the, the crowning failure isn't the two defeats already in the European Conference League, which is a separate issue. But it's that the one defeat in the Conference League was because we held all of our starters from the Newcastle win in training to train specifically for one match, which previously Nuno did well. He had three weeks to plan for Manchester City and we won that match. So he was in the same situation of, you, well, not three weeks, but you have one week to prepare for West Ham. The manager stayed behind. The 11 stayed behind. So you're just cooking up plans of how to beat West Ham. And yet again, it was just a nothing performance. And I, I, for me, that was when I started to turn and when I started to look at the stats to be like, oh, he might be out soon. And I think that's why this week I was just like, you know what? 
it's it's Nuno out for me. I, I think there are at least five managers out there because the question is who out there could do a better job. And I guarantee you there are at least five managers out there that would come in with a stronger identity and this nothingness that Nuno has provided. Uh, yeah, that's over seven minutes for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sam, your thoughts on what has thus far been a disastrous run for Nuno Espirito Santo? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I could be here while you got that off your uh, chest, Kev. It seems <laughs> like that was uh, maybe a little bit therapeutic for you. Uh, cathartic, maybe, should be the word. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been strange, really, isn't it? Uh, I don't think it really could have gone much worse. Um, as you said there, the stats are pretty damning. And, you know, Spurs haven't, you know, they haven't just been losing games. They've been losing games quite badly. Um, I remember watching them against Palace earlier in the season and, you know, just um, obviously I know that Palace have been playing pretty well, but at that point we're still looking for their first win. And I know Spurs went down to 10 men in that game, but, you know, we just, I don't think I've ever seen us being so in control of a match against one of the, you know, so-called big six. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, down to a mixture of reasons from, from the outside looking in anyway. Um, I think, you know, part of the blame has to go to the club, you know, those that did hire him. Um, part of it has to go to Nuno. Um, but I think I think whoever Spurs did get in was always sort of going to struggle, given the fact that a lot of the issues that existed before Nuno got the job um, are still very much there and haven't really been addressed. Um you know, it's still largely a squad that you would say peaked a few years ago when when they reached the Champions League final. Um, not to say that you know the the fall from grace hasn't been emphatic. You know, it has, and it's quite shocking how quickly they have dropped off. But um, you know, similarly, the players that Spurs have brought in over the last couple of years, for whatever reason, with a few exceptions, maybe haven't massively improved the team. Um, it still feels like there is overly reliant on Harry Kane and Hyung min Son, which has perhaps been highlighted more than ever this season because of just how poor Kane has been on, on the back of, you know, mm. both an exhausting Euros campaign and and the disappointment of not getting his move away from the club. Um, and then, yeah, as, as you alluded to, you also have the fact that Nuno was probably, what, like eighth, ninth, tenth choice in the first instance, you know, <laughs> maybe even further down than that. Like, you never know how many managers they considered before eventually arriving at him who also had, you know, reportedly been in talks for Palace and the Everton job, which uh, I think was probably like more his level, you know, or more a natural sort of next step after um, after being at Wolves. And you know, as a, as a Palace fan, looking looking at now, we were talking about it before we came on air. But you know, it's, it feels like we've really dodged a bullet, to be honest. Um, it, you know, as I said, I, I was kind of unconvinced that he'd be the right man for Palace in any case um, to sort of over oversee basic basically a, a huge overhaul and that's kind of you know that's sort of what Spurs need a little bit they do need a little bit of an overhaul and he hasn't you know given anyone any confidence to suggest that he's the man to kind of oversee that um so yeah I think there's there's definitely reasons to suggest that, that the club should get a little bit of the blame here for you know such a poor recruitment process in the first instance um but then again, I don't think you can absolve Nuno of any responsibility. You know, I, when he was appointed, it, for me, there was a sense that he hadn't necessarily got it on merit. Um, you know, it was almost because Spurs had got to the stage where, they'd, you know, they'd been rejected. Three weeks to the start of the season. By, yeah, manager by so, list. Know, by, yeah, by so many other potential managers. They just simply had to, they had to do something. They had to appoint someone. Um, and, you know, to the, the end to his stint at Wolves, they were playing some pretty turgid football. They weren't you know, Wolves weren't particularly good last season and actually, in my opinion, have been a lot more exciting to watch this year under Bruno Larger. Um, I think I pronounced that right, Larger. And, um, and, you know, look better for the change, you know, whereas with Spurs, I've been 
it's like you were talking about there. I've been watching them in a lot of games this season, asking, you know, what actually is the point in this Tottenham team? You know, you're watching it and there's no identity whatsoever. You, don't, you know, you'll know a lot better than me, Kev, because you watch, I assume, you know, pretty much every minute of every game. Um, you know, every time I've seen them, they look like they, you know, they don't really have a plan. They don't look particularly motivated. They don't really look like they know what they're meant to be doing. Um, you know, that's where it does have to come down to the manager who, you know, according to some reports, has been falling out with some of the players too, which, you know, after only a few months in the job isn't isn't a particularly good sign. Um and you know, you look at Luna, you look at Nuno on the bench during some of these games and he just looks disinterested. He's slouched in his seat. Um he doesn't it doesn't feel like he's being very proactive. Um he looks tired of the job already. I think Barney Renee, who's a um a journalist here in the UK, Kev, um, you might I'm sure you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. I've seen his tweets. Um he kind of has alluded to you know, as the guy who sort of comes out and tells you that your car's, you know, he's like a, a car repair guy who comes out and tells you that it's knackered and that it's not, it's not going um, <laughs> to, you're not going to be able to drive it ever again. Um, but I think, I just, I think it's true. He just looks like a deliverer of bad news at the moment. Um, he doesn't look like someone who can motivate this group of players and certainly doesn't come across as the person who, who even himself is kind of motivated to turn this form around. So, yeah, I can, I can completely see why, you know, you're frustrated. Um, Spurs fans at large are frustrated, um, and yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit concerning if you're if you're a Spurs fan at the moment, and I'm just, it does feel very much like it's only a matter of time before before he is replaced. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, <laughs> and the fact that you know it, it's uh, also somewhat falls on the laps of of those above him. Um, maybe, <laughs> and I hate to say this because he's done such a split job in terms of quality. Uh, which is Fabio Paratici, who the players he brought in, fantastic. Romero and Brian Heal and Emerson Real on a cut deal because Barcelona are bankrupt. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Uh, Galini on loan, that's kind of whatever. Um, but uh, he's so good on the player side, and he did so badly on the managerial side. And like I said, he convinced Daniel Levy that this was an okay appointment because Levy was the one with his neck out on the line saying that we were going to return to attacking football and that this clearly, this clearly wasn't it. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of the blame has to rest with them for, for a lot of stuff. And I don't need to start dragging up the not supporting Poch when he needed it stuff that, you know, that there's a Twitter account that references, uh, did a Spurs fan bring up sixteen seventeen yet? Um, which is a pretty popular feed these days, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just embarrassing. He wasn't the right choice. And I, the thing that I'm worried about, like I said, as we record, we're already hearing reports that he's been sacked, but nothing official. Um, you might hear this by the time it comes out, but it might be a little bit later in the week than that. But I'm worried, and this is why some of the reports that he might be getting sacked are almost a relief, is I was worried that because they cut Pochettino as early as they did, which people are glossing over how terrible the last few months of the Pochettino era was. He clearly didn't have his heart in it after the Champions League loss. But they cut Pochettino early, moved to Mourinho. That didn't work. Cut Mourinho early, went to Ryan Mason with the plan being we can negotiate the rest of the season for whoever we want, um, who was very clearly uh, Nagelsmann, who is German. So the second the Bayern job came open, obviously left at that. But I think they're worried about looking like they're panicking again. But like, this is the time that we should panic. (laughs) This is that bad. Um, and so anyway, I, I think I was worried that we wouldn't make 
the right call here, and it sounds like we are going to, but time will only tell there. If he does indeed get the sack, Sam, I'm curious your thoughts on if you think there's a manager out there that could get Tottenham back to, to where a lot of the fans think we should still be, which is battling for that top four, playing with a swagger the way Pochettino had us going, or or if you think those days are basically over and it's time for a rebuild. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's a difficult one. I certainly don't think that that will be the case this season. Um, you know, I think it's already sort of in a position where I think Spurs fans probably have accepted themselves that, you know, this is going to be one of those where you're not going to be, I don't know, it'll probably be a sort of top half finish sort of thing, probably. Um, uh, beyond that, though, you know, if you're, if you're looking at who's available now, um, you know, Paolo Finesca maybe um, is the sort of first name that comes to mind. But again, he was another who they didn't get in over the summer for whatever reason. So I don't know, you know, what would be different only a few months later if they were to approach him again. Um, if I if I were, you know, um, working for Spurs, which I'm obviously not, um, but, you know, I'd, I'd go after Graham Potter probably, who is... Um, it was not just because I'm a Palace fan. I think that he's a decent manager and it'd be quite good <laughs> if he left Brighton. But, um, but you know, he's he's really shown at Brighton that he is capable of of changing a team's style of play, of overseeing a project, so to speak. Um, and, you know, he's done that with significantly less resources than he'd have, um, you'd imagine, at Tottenham. Um, but then, you know, I don't, I don't know how appealing he'd find the job right now, given given how well Brighton have been doing, um, given how well the, given how good the setup is there. Um, so yeah, but um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know how realistic that move is now, and obviously he's not sort of immediately available, and you imagine it'd be quite difficult to kind of prize him away uh, from the south coast. But um, yeah, whatever happens, I yeah, I, I, I didn't think top four was a realistic goal for Spurs at the start of the season, to be honest, um, with Nuno in charge, and I certainly don't think it is now, irrespective of who comes in. And you know, then looking ahead, it's it's kind of tough. You know, you look at you look at what's happened to Arsenal over recent seasons, um, they've sort of shown that, you know, once you do drop out of that top four, it's it's really, really difficult to get back in. Um, and I don't know, watching Spurs at the moment, there is kind of an element of that in the same way that we've seen with Arsenal and that just kind of, it is just really regressing and it feels like it is going to keep getting worse before it gets better without trying to, you know, want to make this too depressing for you, Kev. Um, <laughs> but that is just kind of the way it, looks at the moment they just seem to be following a similar pattern to the one that Arsenal did um and you know you know Liverpool City and Chelsea to me are just so far ahead of the rest at the moment you know that that only really leaves one more spot for everyone else to fight for in that top four you know you've got United obviously who you know they have so much talent in that team but you know fortunately have fairly well fortunately for the others have a fairly average manager um so never looked like a great manager against well yeah 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 which i think you know a lot of people are actually quite pleased about because it means that he's going to stick around in that job for a little bit longer um but you know then you've also got teams like west ham leicester maybe less so this season but you know teams like that forcing their way into the conversation too so um so yeah, in terms of the long-term outlook, I don't know. It's 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 a really tricky it's a really tricky one, I think, and it's I don't think it's going to be particularly easy to get back to that. Um, but I suppose I, you know, the first step really is just kind of, you know, rediscovering that mojo that Spurs haven't had under Pochettino. Um, you know, playing an entertaining brand of football, uh, which is always, you know, 
if you're if you're a football supporter um, of a team, that's always the first thing you want to see, right? You want to be entertained, um, and then kind of whatever comes after that is a bonus in a way. If you see what I mean, that's kind of how I felt as a Palace fan this season, um, especially after sort of seeing the way that we played in the last two under Roy Hodgson. Um, just being entertained again is something that's nice. So, you know, that's probably the starting point for Spurs. I'd say is to get back to that, and then from there it will be a case of you know looking to challenge for that top four again. Um, but I do think it's kind of it's got to be sort of a long-term thing. It's a bit of, it's going to be a bit of an overhaul. But um, yeah, what, what what about you, Kev? If you were to sort of, if you could, you know, just pick anyone uh, to take over this team at the moment, maybe Pochettino aside, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who, would, who would you be uh, inclined to go for? Yeah, so it's not Pochettino for me. <laughs> People may okay. recall I had a thread that weirdly popped off in the summer where I was comparing uh, trying to get back with Pochettino with a failed attempt to get back with an ex that I had while I was living <laughs> in New York. Uh, and basically the short version is uh, you're trying to get back with the previous version of both of yourselves when neither of them are the case anymore. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Pochettino's is we don't want I don't, well, I'll say for myself, I, I don't want to speak for other Spurs I don't think I want Pochettino back. I want, like I was saying earlier, 16-17 back. I want that feeling of being not only an exciting team to watch, almost every team we played said we were the most exciting team that they played all season. Um, I want to go back to the feeling of growth, of hope, that, that we were still building towards something, that we had this young core that were all maturing at the same time and on that constant upward rise where... We were outside the top four, and then we were in the top four, and then we were third, and then we were second. There was, a, there was, I think, a three- or four-year stretch where every single year we finished higher than the year before. And that just, it felt tangible, and I don't think Pochettino could bring that back because that's not the current state of the squad. Um, in terms of who I would want, it's the same answer that it was June 1st, uh, Antonio Conte. It, it, well, well there's, two, there's two versions of this. One is... You try to take the last dregs of the Pochettino team and win something before Harry leaves. Or you blow it up. And as you mentioned, trying to hold on to the dregs is exactly what happened to Arsenal. Literally, the only two things that are different between our regression and Arsenal's regression is that they won titles before they started contending for titles, before they started contending for top four, before they started contending for Europa League. We never made it that high. And the other difference is that we're doing it way faster. Like their fall was from like 2007, eight-ish until like the mid-2010s. And we've done it in 30 months. It's it's honestly remarkable how quickly we've fallen. And I think it further emphasizes how amazing a job Pochettino did at the time, getting everyone to buy in, which I think is now a huge issue. I think if Antonio Conte comes in with his success of basically winning the league in every league he's ever been in, I think that's the last chance to get buy-in with the current older core of Hugo Lloris and Kane. Son just signed a long-term contract. I think he's around for a long time. But <clears throat> with that group, it's kind of your last chance. Or, like you said... You blow it up. And this is what Paratici wanted in the summer. He wanted to sell Kane to fund the rebuild under a new manager. But we thought Kane would still try, <laughs> which sounds crazy now. Because he's one of our worst players pretty consistently. Um, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here. But I, I want it to be Conte. It won't be. We won't match his demands. And I want to try to see Harry win something with us before he leaves. It's probably not going to happen. So failing that, I love Graham Potter, but he didn't want to join us in the summer when he would have had a full off season and transfer budget. 
can't imagine him wanting to come right now, much to the chagrin of you and other Palace fans. Um, I keep saying everybody bringing Gallardo, who I think is at River Plate. Ooh, I, I should know more than that. Um, but uh, honestly, I'd be fine with Paulo Fonseca. I'm fine losing 5-3. <laughs> I'm tired of losing 3-0. I know mean, that's a crazy thing to say, but it's like you were just saying. like You just want to see exciting football again. You want to see your players do something. And I think that's the big difference between when people are like, well, we were bad in the 90s, is we didn't have players the caliber of Kane and Son. Like, we have two of arguably the 15 best attacking players in world football, and we've gone scoreless countless times already this season. It's it's just embarrassing. I'm I continue to get off track, and I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> I think the only chance we have at making the top four is if Conte comes. I agree with you. It wasn't realistic. I thought we were the sixth best team coming into the season, and I was pretty convinced we were going to finish sixth. Now we could be in that eight to ten range if things don't go right. If if the plan is Gallardo in December, if we stick with Mason for a couple of months, I mean, at least Mason knows to play your eleven best players. I I have that to say for him from the back half of last year. But no, I, I think we're just Going for a top 10 finish, I think Kane will sneak out the back door for way less than we were offered this year, which I thought was the right decision at the time, holding on to him, because we never imagined that he'd be this uninvested, shall we say. Um, So yeah, I I think we'll limp to December, maybe with Mason, then go for Gallardo, or we'll bring in somebody even more short-term immediately, um, assuming, again, none of this has happened yet, but assuming Nuno goes. Um, But yeah, it's... uh, it's pretty hopeless. And, and I think to kind of make this a full circle, that's the difference between this and under Potch. Is under Potch, we all had hope. And now with all of that success kind of seeping out of our hands the past few years, it's there is none. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll stop talking about Tottenham <laughs> now. Sorry for dragging you into the deeper levels of my emotions there. But um, we are at the uh, quarter point of the season. Well, technically just past that at halftime of, of match day 10 uh, this past week. And I was just curious outside of Tottenham, who we just uh, bloviated <laughs> on for quite long enough. Uh, which club has impressed you the most thus far? And which club have you been the most disappointed by? Yeah, I think my answer to both of these is probably going to be one of the promoted teams, actually. Mm. Um, and you can probably guess the identity of both before I say them. But, um, you know, I know they had a disappointing result yesterday at Burnley. I've actually hit a slightly rough patch of form and have dropped into the bottom half of the table. But, um, you know, for Brentford to have taken to the Premier League in the way that they have has really impressed me. Um, you know, there's always a question mark over teams uh, you know, like them uh, who come up from the championship playing, you know, a certain style, a certain brand of football in the way that they do. Um, you always wonder whether they're going to be able to replicate that at a higher level or if, you know, they're simply going to get sussed out early on and picked off by better quality opposition, which you know has been the case with certain teams in the past. Um, you know, but but the early indications are definitely that um, you know, that they can. Um they obviously had that that brilliant result against Arsenal to kick off the season. They more than matched Liverpool in that entertaining 3-3 back in September, um, you know, which is probably one of the games of the season already. Um, and they've been really unlucky in, in games against Chelsea and Leicester recently, in my opinion, as well. So, um, so yeah, in the same way that, you know, Leeds, um, in the same way that Leeds were last year, uh, I think they've been a, been a bit of fresh air they've been exciting to watch you know they've got fun attacking players in Ivan Tony and Brian and Buemo uh, a few others who I've probably forgotten to mention um you know they just look like a very very good addition to the league and um you know I think the biggest compliment you can say is that you're always 
looking forward to watching a Brentford game. I think, you know, that was kind of a thing with Leeds last year, wasn't it? You're always sort of guaranteed goals and entertainment. I think you can probably say the same about Brentford this year. Um, so, yeah, they've yeah they've, they, they've very much impressed me. Um, a shout out also, actually, for uh, for West Ham. Um, obviously one one again today, yeah. one for one. And they've just, you know, they've just completely picked up where they left off last year. Um, they haven't been phased uh by, you know, the addition of the Europa League, which, you know, sometimes have some some teams have struggled to juggle that historically. Um, but it doesn't seem to be affecting them, at least at, in this early stage of the season. You never know, it might start to sort of have an impact later on as, you know, the games add up. But, you know, and, and good for David Moyes too, I think, you know, who has proved a lot of people wrong. He became a bit of a figure of fun after after a spell at United and then, you know, being in that situation he was at, at Sunderland. But um so yeah, it's been I don't know, he seems like a nice chap. So uh, to put it very simply. But uh yeah, so it's been quite nice to see him kind of succeeding there. Um less of a breath of fresh air and perhaps not quite as good in addition to the league this season have been Norwich. Um yes yeah, I don't really know what to say about them to be honest. I feel I feel really quite sorry for Norwich fans um, because it really can't be very fun watching them every week at the moment, you know, almost turning up knowing that you're going to get beaten, you know, even even today in that crazy, what was it, five, six minutes against Leeds, um, you know, they concede one, get back on level terms, you're thinking, okay, here we go, and then Leeds literally go back in front two minutes later, it's just, <laughs> that's just the type of, you know, it's just the type of the runner form they're in at the moment, it's the type of season they're having, and I think it's the type of season they're going to have for the, for the next 28 games as well, to be honest, unfortunately. Um, I actually thought before the season that they might fare a little bit better this time around, you know, that Daniel Farker would have learned from the experience of a couple of years ago. But if it's possible, you know, they've actually been a lot worse. Um, at least last time when they got it right, they were good to watch. You know, if you remember, they beat Man City at home. Um they, you know, played. Yeah, Pookie was the played, early they, golden boot. Yeah, uh, yeah. Favorite. I remember, we did, I remember we did a podcast uh, shortly after that game, like, you know, predicting how many Pookie was going to score. And I think someone might have even thrown the thrown 20 out there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, they don't, they don't even have that this time. They've, you know, there doesn't seem to be as much of a plan, um, as much of a plan when they're playing. Uh, you know, they sold Buendia in the summer, which was obviously a He's obviously a big miss for them. They've they've reinvested some of the money and they've signed players, but you know quite clearly that those players just aren't good enough. Um, so yeah, really not been particularly impressed with them at all. But um, fully expecting them to get their first win whenever it is they're due to play Palace. <laughs> that, that does seem to be how things go, especially <laughs> if you talk bad about a club. We talked about Norwich last week as well, so I won't really touch that one. I, I think West Ham is an excellent shout. Just just what Moyes is doing with that team, and I've I've said this enough times on enough different shows, but their their sudden shift in their transfer policy from trying to buy any Champions League dregs kind of player that then came for the London lifestyle and maybe not really to play for West Ham to well specifically signing a whole bunch of Czech players <laughs> that they kind of got it uh, initially when they came in to build around the talented players they already had, like Declan Rice. Um, I've never uh, disliked Ogbana as much as other people have. Um, obviously, Cresswell. Just, they, they already had some talent, and they kept trying to figure out how to fix it. And then I, I think they, they did by adjusting the, the attitude of the players they were signing paired with a manager that was very kind of uh, work focused rather than rather than you know the glamour. David Moyes not a very uh, sexy manager, but but it it, it works for them. And th- that's not to say that they don't have some really 
um, visually appealing moments as a club because they certainly have the past couple of years. But yeah, I, I think West Ham have, have been fantastic. I do think that it's kind of like two or three years ago, we talked about if Everton were top, uh, actually it might've been last year with Thomas Rodriguez and all that. We're like, are they actual top four challengers? I don't think they will be come the end of the year, but it would be a fascinating race if that's the top five. And it's basically, can Manchester United get fourth on talent alone or can West Ham kind of effort themselves uh, to that to that fourth spot? Um, Kind of like Newcastle the year they were kind of pushing with uh, Ba and Cissé. So it'll it'll definitely be interesting. And I think just... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. At an at a initial thought, I think that's basically going to be the top five. Um, barring something surprising, but we'll see. But yes, West Ham, very impressive. And you already mentioned Norta. I don't need to bury them any further. <laughs> but I, I think you don't have to look much farther than the opposite side of the pitch in the West Ham match today, where I, I, I'm sure there was a split camp of, of, of neutral fans of whether or not Villa were going to be better or worse. I actually thought they did a really good job replacing Grealish by bringing in like mm. four different players to fill each of the things that he was leaving. Like they brought in Buendia to replace the creativity. They brought in Bailey to address the the wide play. Um, they brought in Danny Ings to replace the goals, which there, even, there weren't even that many of. Um, I, I thought they did fantastically well in, in replacing him and thought they spent that $100 million really well, but... Uh, you know, <laughs> the last three weeks, I think we've started by talking about a manager. I think it was Farka and then Solskjaer and now Nuno. And, and I don't want to start next week by having to talk about Dean Jones. But with the amount of money they spend, even though you've lost your talisman, you've brought in so many good players. It's it's uh, it's not a good look right now. And then and then the other one for me is Leeds, where you mm. mentioned how, how great they were when they first came up. And nothing really changed. Well, Bamford's been hurt. I suppose that that is a big that is a big knock for them. But yeah, it's it's uh, both of them equally surprising with how poor they've been this season for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, we'll wrap up this section uh, talking about IFAB, everyone's favorite part of football. <laughs> um, they've now recommended that the five substitutes rule, it's still being used in some leagues, but obviously not the Premier League. Uh, they're recommending that that rule become permanent. And I was just curious if you thought that the Premier League would follow suit with that, and if so, if it would be a positive or a negative for you. Yeah, good old IFAB. Eh? It feels like they just do this stuff because to make it look like they're actually doing something. In the middle it? of the season, too. The... Like, we should yeah. do this. Like, okay. Yeah. Bizarre. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been thinking about this because I know it's sort of, it's upset a lot of people, hasn't it, kind of in a way. Um, and there's always like, it's very obvious who it's upsetting. It's upsetting like supporters of, I suppose, the so-called smaller clubs, maybe, or, you know, 
bottom half of the league, for example, don't have the same resources as the big teams. Um, but I'm not sure how much of an opinion I have on it, to be honest, or how you know pro or anti I am. Um, I'm sure the Premier League will um, follow suit and adopt it. They'll be under pressure to adopt it, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, but I do, yeah, I do been a bit over the top. On on the one side, you can say fair enough. You know, it's maybe good for the players from a rest uh, fitness perspective, whatever, however you want to put it. If you look at it that way. Uh, on the other side, yes, you could say it gives the bigger teams with the deeper squads a bit of an advantage because you know they'll be able to bring on more quality from the bench. Um, I've seen some people suggest that if they do implement it, they should make it so that you know those two extra substitutions have to be academy products. Um, but I'm not really sure how you would enforce that, um, especially because Brentford don't even teams like Brentford don't even have an academy, do they? Um, <laughs> and I think do you have a brand new one? We can get to. Oh well, yeah, we do, we do, yeah. Um, and I think if that were the case, most managers probably wouldn't take up the option to make those two extra subs anyway. Um, and yeah, at the, at the same time, I'm not sure how much of a difference it really makes. Um, I'd actually be interested to see some stats on, you know, how much managers actually took advantage of it when project restart restart happens because um, maybe it's just me and maybe it was that long ago that I can't remember, but I, yeah, I don't really recall seeing too many situations where it did happen, you know, where we did see managers using all, all five subs. Um, because when you think about it, if, you, if you're making five substitutions, you're ultimately changing half your team, aren't you? Which I assume disrupts things a little bit too much for, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a manager. Um, which I imagine most of them are going to want to avoid unless they're, you know, having a truly terrible performance and really want to overhaul things. You know, maybe Nuno's hoped, wished on a few occasions this season that he'd had more than three subs that he could make at half time or something like that. But um, from a from a fan perspective, um, so selfishly maybe as you know, someone who goes to games, I'd probably find it a bit annoying if you ended up having ten subs per match. Um, you know, if you think about the disruption that would cause to a game, especially in the second half when subs tend to take place. Um, you know, if you had 10 stoppages for substitute or maybe you know, seven or what, because, you know, they, <laughs> you can bring on more, sub, uh, more than one sub at once. But if you did have those stoppages going on and it would slow down the game and it would disrupt the flow. And I suppose in that sense, it could actually lead to you know games being a little bit less exciting, um, if you see what I mean from that perspective. Mm. But but yeah, at the end of it all, I'd, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm particularly pro, pro or anti it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, what, what about you, Kev? What do you think? Yeah, I think it is a really interesting solution to a symptom instead of the actual issue. Because I, I think they're cloaking all of this under the guise of player safety. At least that was the idea um, during Project Restart. Was all these players basically took a month off in the middle of a season. You know, this way you can take off players that are tired so that they don't get, you know, those soft tissue injuries and and hamstrings and all kinds of stuff like that. But the issue is that the powers that be keep scheduling more and more football. And at the same time that IFAB is coming out and saying, you might need five subs because your players are so tired. They're also talking, well, not IFAB in particular, but we're discussing a biennial World Cup. You're like, I <laughs> I don't really understand how both of those conversations are happening at the same time. Or, or I guess I do understand because one's like, oh, if we're going to play them that much, then we better be able to make them substitutes. But your best 11 players are still going to start most weeks. I mean, unless you're Nuno Espirito Santo and you still don't know what your best 11 is. Um, so I, 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 I'm baffled by that. If this is the best that happens in terms of player safety, like I, I think even before this ruling, it was already extended to the end of 2022 by FIFA to deal with the fact that there will be this Winter World Cup in the middle of domestic seasons. 
um, then I guess I kind of get it. But I, I think I think they're just uh, uh, attaching a Band-Aid to an axe wound here. And, and they're the ones that swung the axe. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm not particularly pro because I'd be more a fan of if we're going to try to address player fatigue, uh, let's meaningfully address it rather than just being like, oh, well, they can come off a little earlier and that'll solve the issue of us heaping more and more matches on them and meaningful matches with the friendlies turning into uh, the Euro, Euro League. Is it just called Euro League? Uh Nations oh, League. The, sorry, the Nations League. Yeah, 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 there we go. Yeah, so like turning friendlies into competitive matches, adding more matches, obviously adding the European Conference League so that even more teams have midweek matches, which they already had because of domestic cup competitions and league matches sometimes fall in the midweek, especially in lower leagues like the championship. It is uh, it is becoming a hefty toll that we're expecting of players, and I'm not sure, like I said, allowing them to leave the match eight minutes earlier is really going to be what prevents the kind of chronic fatigue issues that we're going to start seeing. But anyway, I'm rambling here a bit, but uh, I, I am like you. I don't largely care, but I would like it to not happen so that more meaningful change could be made about about uh, the amount of minutes that players are expected to play right now. All right, we'll head from there straight into rounding the table, which is a very small table for two today. Uh, but we'll start off talking about Crystal Palace, of course. And I just wanted to get your initial thoughts on the match yesterday. I'm sure a lot of people were watching their own match and then saw the scoreline afterwards and saw Crystal Palace beating Manchester City and were wondering what the heck happened. So uh, for lack of a better segue, what the heck happened? Yeah, well, the, the first thing to say what happened is that my mum went and um, <laughs> to explain is that. Is that good luck? Because, uh, uh, well, basically, uh, yes, basically she has now been to Old Trafford once. She's been to the Etihad once and Palace have won on both occasions. Whereas, you know, the majority of Palace fans would have been waiting years and years and years for us to finally win at those stadiums, especially Old Trafford. I've, I've been to both of those places on several occasions. I think I've been to the Etihad like three times, seen us concede 15 goals, something like that. So I sort of retired from going to Manchester a few years ago and since then we haven't stopped winning there or getting picking up points there and uh yeah my mum's clearly ridden that crest of a wave and managed to manage to go to the game yesterday but um but yeah I, I don't know like I, I maybe could have told you before that we'd end up winning this one it just seems really typical of our season so far to you know not get the points we deserve in games we perhaps should be winning and then you know to go to the Etihad and pull off a result that really no one would have been expecting beforehand as you say um Obviously, a few of the decisions went our way with Laporte's red card and the VAR call for City's disallowed goals. But, you know, those are the kind of decisions that have been going against us in recent weeks. So, yeah, I'm not going to apologise for it. I don't have any sympathy with City for it. Um, I think these things just have a way of evening themselves out over the season. And that's that's what we saw here. Um, but from a Palace perspective, maybe even when City had... Um, 11 men on the pitch. I mean, I did, I've only seen the highlights of the game. I didn't go. I was, uh, as I said to you, Kev, before I was actually, um, I was playing football myself during this, but having watched the highlights, it didn't feel like it was a game where City was sort of bombarding us with chances. We're in complete control. Um, you know, even I, I try not to look at XG too much, but um, <laughs> after the game, uh, it did pop up that, you know, Palace, had the better of XG as well, and you know City's expected goals was under one, which you know I'm not doesn't really happen to many uh, on many occasions to them at the Etihad, I'd imagine. Um, so yeah, just um, yeah, a, a really big result, a really impressive performance, and you know just another feather in Patrick Vieira's cap, who I think has you know surpassed all expectations um, in terms of the start of the season so far. 
and he may or may not already be better than a different London manager, but we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave that alone. But uh, yeah, to your point, City just had the three shots on target. They had fourteen shots, but uh, you know, three out of fourteen is not a very good percentage there for them. But yeah, very very impressive result for you. And off the back of the draw with Arsenal, we seem to be rebounding a little bit uh, after mm-hmm. a rough start to the season. And I think Tottenham may have helped with their uh, <laughs> regaining of some <laughs> confidence there. Uh, yeah, I, I think Palace have done very well thus far, and, and Vieira seems to be a really interesting case study. Uh, kind of talking about the ratio of, of shots on target and shot accuracy and stuff like that. I, I saw a really interesting stat while I was just looking up things from the weekend, and I noticed that you are 19th in shots on target, but you are 8th in goals. And for a club that so long was looking for somebody that would just hit the goals in, that's a that's obviously a very impressive rate, perhaps unsustainable. But I was just curious your thoughts on if you felt that that was more you're creating high chance or high percentage opportunities, or if you're just seeing some really excellent finishing from some of your players. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a bit of both. I think I think there's the facts that we are sort of we're dominating games a lot more than we a lot more than we were now. We see more of the ball, so naturally there are more. Naturally there are more chances coming on the back of that. Um, and yeah, I would say that sort of yeah, we get into better positions um, more often. We get more players in the box more often. And also, if you if you look at who scored our goals this season, it hasn't just been no, it hasn't just I think been you have Zaha. That's four been one different of, players with three goals. If memory yeah, serves. so it's Gallagher, yeah, it's, him, yeah. Benteke, Elise. Uh, yeah, at least they scored this season as well. I don't, he's not scored three. He's, I think he's just got the one. But um, that's kind of one of been one of the biggest problems over the last couple of seasons is that you know we've we've either been looking at Zaha or you know maybe Benteke for our goals. Um, there hasn't really been anyone helping them out in that regard. Um, whereas this season, you know, you've got Benteke who seems to have a bit of a new lease of life under Vieira as well. You know, the, the game against Newcastle last week was pretty much Benteke against their frame of the goal and VAR um but he yeah he's sort of returning to form you've got Zaha obviously who's always a threat Edward has made a really pro- promising start you know his goal against Arsenal was great those two that he got against Spurs as, as you'll remember Kev um as Elise as well who you know we haven't seen loads of but on the on the occasions that he has played has looked really really bright and everyone's very excited about what's to come from him um and then of course Conor Gallagher who you know is just everywhere um Zaha spoke about it yesterday in his post-match interview how useful it is to basically have someone who does so much work for the team defensively but also gets himself into the box to you know finish off counter-attacks like he did yesterday and so he's already popped up with three really big important really important goals for us and every time he does that I think adds another couple of million to his price tag which is which we're eventually not going to be able to pay I think at the end (laughs) of the season but um but yeah, I think yeah. So there are a plethora of reasons, really. It doesn't surprise me that we have uh, a so low for shots on target because that has been sort of one of the maybe one of the complaints possibly in the first few weeks is that despite all the possession that we have been having and despite you know how in control we've felt of games, um, some of the clear cut chances haven't necessarily been there. But as you say, um, when we are getting into those positions, we have been quite clinical you know with the exception of Newcastle last week maybe where we we did spurn a lot of opportunity a lot of good opportunities um yeah I think it's sort of it's a consequence of that and I think it's also a consequence of the fact that you know as I said we've just got so many more goal threats now than we than we have done in in previous seasons uh yeah it's it's a pretty impressive uh attacking team that you've got there and and you're playing an attacking brand of football and I think I mentioned this 
uh, it was either to Jay or to you the last time you were on, that I, when you let go of like <laughs> eight of your starting 11 from last year, I couldn't see it ending in anything but disaster. And yeah. I honestly think you have redistributed those funds about as perfectly as you could have. The only the only possible exception that you weren't able to get Gallagher on a fee. Um, yeah. And to your point, I do recommend saying worse things about him publicly as a club. <laughs> so how should be like, oh, he's terrible. He was in the wrong position. Fortunately, he managed to score that goal, but he misses most of them in training. That kind of stuff <laughs> outwardly. And then just be like, oh, I'm just kidding. We're just, we just want to buy you next year. Maybe that might be <laughs> a better strategy there. But <laughs> regardless, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's probably a very exciting time to be a Palace fan. Um, with with some of the young talent that you've brought in, seeing them clicking, like you mentioned, getting getting more out of a player like Benteke, who you haven't seen the best of the past few years. Although he he was better last year comparatively, but yeah, 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 not too bad from you guys. I, I also wanted to mention, as we talked about earlier, the reopening of your academy, which obviously famously produced Gareth Southgate, and he was there at the reveal. And I was just curious your thoughts on that of like trying to bring more of a youth focused thing, which we just mentioned you've already kind of done in the senior team. Yeah, um, yeah. So this week, obviously, um, as you mentioned, uh, Gareth Southgate uh, opened this new facility. I think it's a twenty million pound facility has gone into it um, in Beckenham in South London, which is actually it's actually just about ten minutes from where I live. Um, I walked past it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, even from the outside, it it looks very, very impressive. And you know, everyone's just filled with pride about it. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, we've all, at, at Palace. I think every Palace fan has always taken. Um, quite a lot of pride in some of the talent that we've been able to produce even without a facility like that you know you look at Zaha uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka more recently Nathaniel Klein who's back at the club now Victor Moses who's gone on to play for some really top clubs um, you know even dating back to Southgate himself um, Clinton Morrison too was another one who came through here um, so yeah I think yesterday's result just capped off what was a really really positive week um, for everyone at Palace um, and you know the hope is that this new facility is going to help us attract youngsters from South London which you know is such a it's got such a massive catchment area it's such a huge hotbed of talent um, it's a real melting pot of cultures with players with a huge array of skill sets I mean you look at the England squad now um, there's quite a few players in that in that group who have come from this this part of the UK um, but for whatever reason because you know they they pro they previously would have gone to Arsenal or Chelsea or you know been lured up north to United or City or wherever. Um, whereas now you know they'll they'll come to Palace and see this facility and think you know wow, um, this is just you know, this is a place where I yeah this is a place where I can really you know develop as a player. It's got everything everything's here made for me to succeed. You know um, Zaha was talking about it earlier in the week. He was interviewed because um, all the players attended the opening of it and he was interviewed and he was saying you know. Um, when he came through, just how much of a help it would, it would have been to him to have all of that there for him. And he said, you know, there's no excuse now for these players. They've got everything, literally everything is there for them to be the best they can. So, you know, the hope is that now we're going to be able to produce more players like Zaha, like Wambasaka, like Jez Raksaki, who is, who's coming through now. Um, you know, it's, it's not just the playing facilities, the gyms, the recovery areas. It's also got offices. It's got classrooms as well. So the academy players can also get a bit of an education while they're playing football. Because, you know, as we know, 90%, maybe more of these players aren't going to make it as a professional. So it's it's really important for them to have that. Um, and, you know, Steve Parrish, he, he spoke this week about it being something, you know, it's not just going to benefit Palace. It's something that's going to benefit the whole of South London. And, um, you know, if you talk about, 
you're talking about wanting to leave a legacy as an owner I think this is <laughs> this is probably it um having seen it so yeah just um yeah really it really feels like you're sort of part of something supporting Palace at the moment both with you know the way we're performing on the pitch um things that we're doing off it uh, and the hope is that you know going forward we're not going to have to sort of spend 20 million on someone else's academy player we're just going to be able to <laughs> go across the road to our trek mm-hmm. to our uh, academy center and pluck someone from there to put into the first team so so yeah no it's a, it's a huge positive for the club and um yeah all, all credit to Steve Parrish to be honest who <laughs> you know as you said kind of has overseen this massive overhaul of the first team squad and at the same time bubbling away in the background has been um overseeing this project which is you know one of the most significant I, well, I don't think it would be an overstatement to say it's one of the most significant things to happen to the club in, in a very long time. Yeah, definitely exciting. And then that way you can grow your own Conor Gallagher. Instead yeah, of exactly. Let's pay Chelsea £40 million. Million. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah, with that extra English tax, it can get pretty pricey yeah. pretty quickly. Uh, all right, we'll leave that there. And I just wanted to head into Player Watch and ask you uh, which players at your club are in line for a new contract soon. I, it may be a limited number since so many just walked last year. Yeah, actually, I had to do a bit of research for this one, Kevin. Never usually have to do that for this section. But uh, <laughs> I did. There's actually, um, surprising, there's actually a few um, who are out of contracts uh, besides obviously the guys who are on one year deals and players like Gallagher who are obviously on loan. Um, but there's Jeffrey Schlupp, uh, Jordan Ayew, Cheka Kuyate, James MacArthur, and James Tompkins, who their contracts will expire uh, next summer. So. Yeah, those are kind of the guys who are in and around the first team. And of those, you sort of look at, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if you got one, even though he's sort of starting at the moment fairly regularly. Um, he hasn't scored in a very, very long time and a lot of fans have been getting fairly frustrated with it. Um, even though he does, I think Vieira actually quite likes him because he works so hard off the ball um, and with the sort of high press that we now play, he is quite useful for, for winning it back. And, you know, for whatever we paid for, and I think it was 1.5, maybe 2.5 million, he has, you know, definitely um, definitely delivered. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he gets a new one. Um, Kayate is another one I'm unsure on. Um, He's like a really good utility player for us, can fill in at centre-back, obviously gets about the midfield well, but there was talk about him um, leaving over the summer even. I think there was, I think, Trabs on Sport. I hope I've got that right, were rumoured to be interested. Mm. Um, there was some, you know, there was some reports going around that, you know, he wanted a certain amount of money in his new contract and Palace maybe weren't willing to pay it, so that could be one that perhaps was by the wayside. Um, Jeffrey Schlapp, I'd like to see us keep. Um, he... You know, he's just a very useful player to have in the squad, provides cover at left back. Um, also, is good, a good player going forward as well. So he's a he's a good man to have in the squad. Uh, James MacArthur, I'd you know I'd 100% give him a new contract. He's he's 34 now, so he's getting on, but he's just had a completely new lease of life under under Vieira, um, which has kind of been a common theme with a few of the players that you sort of thought might be victims of this overhaul. You know, maybe players like Joel Wards, even. Tyrick Mitchell, Luka Milivojevic, MacArthur, that's kind of what Vieira has done so well is that he's managed to take these players who, you know, maybe looks like they might kind of struggle to retain their place in the starting eleven, and he's just, you know, he's upped their game massively. Um, and they've just really responded to the way that um, that, he, that he's been coaching, basically. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if MacArthur gets a new contract because, you know, he's been captaining, captaining us on a number of occasions this season and Vieira seems to really, really like him. And I think he, he's just a very good example to the younger players coming through as well. Um, 
the last one on that list that I mentioned, James Tompkins, uh, tricky one because he obviously was kind of he's been injured a lot. Um, has obviously this season has been uh, forced out of the team by uh, Anderson and Gay, who both look fantastic. Um, so yeah, his stay at the stage that he's at in his career, I'd imagine he'll want to be starting um, starting for someone. So yeah, it wouldn't be surprised to me if. Um, if kind of he if he doesn't extend his contract beyond next year, but um, yeah, none none of those I would say are sort of too major. I think uh, you know after after the sort of panic of the end of last season, uh, I think uh, I think Steve Parrish will be quite relieved to see that um, you know there's there's only a few to negotiate uh, going into next year. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, not to make this about Tottenham one more time, but the, the big one at, <laughs> at Spurs is Hugo Lloris. I, I mentioned it earlier in terms of are we trying to push now or are we just kind of kicking it to this younger generation of of your Bergvines and your Romeros and, and that kind of young core and Dombele or La Celso, if either of them feel like living up to their price tags at any point. Um, but yeah, so Lloris is, is the big one. Obviously, he's the club captain. Um and he's still the one that speaks up whenever the, the club has put forward an embarrassing performance, which has happened more and more frequently over the last two years. But uh, personally, I think he's still just as good as he was. I think he's actually gotten better in a way and that he used to roam a bit more than we liked. Um, and he'd come off his line and he'd try to punch everything. And I think as he gets less confident in his speed and ability to break off of his line to punch things away, that he's playing more conservatively, which is great because he's a, a fantastic shot stopper. So just kind of staying in the pocket a little bit, I think has actually helped him age a bit better as a goalkeeper. Obviously, the distribution is still a little question marky in terms of the, the more modern game. But ultimately, as Jamie Smith always says when he comes on, a goalkeeper's job is to prevent goals. And uh, he's still very, very good at that. And people might be questioning whether or not that's the case, considering how many times we've conceded multiple goals uh, this season, but he he still looks pretty dang good. Still saves a lot of shots that that otherwise would have hit the back of the net. So I would I would still sign him maybe on a two year deal. He's already 34, 35. Um, obviously goalkeepers can go a, a bit longer than that. But the other decision is what to do with Pierre Luigi Golini, who we brought in on a loan, who we can buy uh, with a fee that's already agreed. I'm not particularly convinced that he's the heir apparent for Lloris. So for my money, give Lloris a two-year contract, then look two years from now. Or or bring him in or, or someone else under him and kind of train them up. Because uh, for a long time, we had Michelle Vorm as his backup, who was just as old uh, and is already retired. So anyway, I'd give Lloris the contract and let Galini go back into the ocean and then let's find somebody else a couple years from now. But... It could always go the other way. Uh, we'll wrap up with a match preview for you. You're going to be hosting Wolves in the Premier League next weekend. You already gave them a pretty nice compliment about their play style there under Bruno Lage. What do you expect in this one? Yeah, it should be an interesting one, actually. I think, um, you know, as having sort of seen the way that we've started the season, I think these are the games that we have to look to be winning, really. Um, because, you know, despite how well we've played and everyone from outside the club has been saying we've been playing as well. If we'd lost yesterday, as expected, we've ended up, we'd have ended the, uh, the weekend in 17th, two points above the relegation zone. Um, so yeah, for as well, as well as it has been going and as impressed everyone has been, um, the only sort of frustration is that we've drawn so many games. We haven't, um, we haven't been getting what we've deserved, um, a lot of the time. So yeah, there's that despite, 
all the positivity there's still a sort of fr- frustration in the sense that we feel like we're in a bit of a false position you know if you took the if you t- if you if you you know 15 seconds against Brighton uh, 10 seconds against Arsenal you did both those games should have been another three points um Newcastle last week we couldn't see that one out um 10 games in we've only lost twice to Chelsea and Liverpool away which is mighty impressive when you consider we've played City Arsenal and West Ham away as well and Spurs at home you know it's been a really unenviable start to the season as as difficult as you could probably ask for under under a new manager with a um you know with a lot of new players um so I think really home to Wolves with all due respect to Wolves it's obviously a game that we'll be hoping to win I think um that's it's you know teams in and around you when you're in, a, in the position that Palace are that's where you need to be picking up the three points really obviously games like City yesterday really nice to have um but that's not going to happen every time you play the top teams is it so um yeah teams in and around you is what is what kind of makes the difference between whether you sort of do force your way into that top half or you do sort of end up lingering in and around near the bottom um so yeah I'd, I'd expect to see more of a an attacking team as well than we maybe saw yesterday against City. Um, for the record, I think the changes Vieira made yesterday were spot on. He brought um, he brought Ayu in for Elise from the start, Kayate in for Milivojevic, which I think was kind of a recognition that against City we're not we weren't going to have as much of the ball as um, as we as we have been doing against as you know as in, in the game against Newcastle, for example. So he just what he wanted some uh, more legs in there to players who work a little bit harder off the ball. Um, so yeah, for next week, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Elise come back in for Ayu with with Zaha playing on the left and uh, possibly Edward through the middle, maybe um, rather than Benteke. Um, so yeah, I'd, um, yeah, I'd, I'd expect us to really go for the three points next Saturday, uh, especially because you know we haven't we haven't won at home since the since the Spurs game. So yeah, it's, it's a game that we'll definitely be looking to get three points from. But uh, at the same time, it's not guaranteed because as I said, Wolves have. Wolves have impressed me uh, this season, but they do strike me as a side that you know you're never you're never quite sure what you're going to get from them at the moment. Um, so yeah, it should be an entertaining one in any case. Gotcha. Well, we'll certainly be watching, and best of luck to you and uh, the random Palace fans that I ran into Spurs <laughs> Bar uh, on Saturday. Uh, we'll leave the show there. So Sam, if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or, or what you're working on these days, now would be a good time. Sure thing. Cheers, Kev. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Really enjoyed that. Um, probably because of the result yesterday. Um, but and yeah, the training I'm, facility. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm Sam Carp, uh, Crystal Palace fan. You can find me at Sam Double Underscore Carp on Twitter, and you can also find some of my articles on the Eagles Beak website. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Sam. I am Kevin DeVries. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. And I'm not going to say where you can find it as a show because you've very clearly shown that you're capable of finding this show if you're hearing this right now. But thanks again for joining me. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.